0: Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, everyone. You can take a seat. Welcome to Graceland Church. Such a joy to see you all. I'm thrilled to be back to the land of the living. Shout out, thank you, my wife. My wife. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, boy, thank you to Pastor Heather for sharing a great message last week about living a life at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Heather. And how many of you were here the week before that and for some of the revival nights with Gary Spell? How many of you guys got to hear some of that? Amazing. If you weren't here for it, I encourage you go back. I, I would like to challenge you to listen to all of those messages. I believe uh, that they are words from the Lord for us. And the Lord is building upon those things uh, for us as individuals and us as a church family. So it's all right on our website, uh, gracelandchurch.com. I hope you'll check that out. Today, we're back into the book of Proverbs, a series called A Heart of Wisdom. And today, we're talking about pride and humility. Um, Sickness, by the way, which I had, I, I didn't go to the doctor or anything, but I'm pretty sure I had flu B. One of my kids had that. Knocked me out. And um, it's humbling when you can't really even get out of bed and do anything for yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's you, you remember again, how dependent you are on God, please heal this mess. Please like bring me out to the land of the living again. Let me give you two definitions for pride and humility. Number one, pride is a detrimental preoccupation with self. And let me just give you a clarification that doesn't always mean that that occupation with self means you think you're awesome. It could be occupation with yourself, meaning you think you're terrible. It's just you on the throne of your own life, your own thoughts about you front and center all the time. That's pride, self-sufficiency or lack thereof. And then humility is a life-giving preoccupation with God. It is, it is setting our heart upon the truth learning more the truth of who we are, and therefore being humbled before the Lord. It is the greatest thing. Look at these principles in Proverbs. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And then chapter 16, verse 18, describes the results of pride a little more. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So If you're not sure which path you wanna choose yet, let's just articulate the results of pride just so far. The results of pride are disgrace, destruction, and a fall. And then the results of humility are further articulated in chapter 22, verse four. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. So the results of humility are wisdom, riches, honor, and life. It seems like a really clear choice Uh, when set before us that way, These themes are true throughout all of scripture. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It talks about in the book of James. And Jesus himself, who is God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, clothed in the flesh, he submits himself to be born as a baby. Think of the humility it takes. And then to live his life fully God, but also fully man. And then made himself obedient even to death on a cross. Uh, Among the most humiliating acts of crucifixion, ever. Jesus said he came to serve, not to be served. So it's so clear in scripture that the way of wisdom is the, hum- the way of humility. If you want to know what the wise thing to do in your life is, ask yourself, what is the humble thing to do? And we're going to look at a case study That, let me just warn you, it's hard to even believe this is in the Bible. It's one of those stories that is just wild. And it's gonna be a case study that is a litmus test for our own hearts uh, with where we stand in regards to pride and humility. It's the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's say that together Nebuchadnezzar. Very nice. One more time. Nebuchadnezzar. Go home and remember Nebuchadnezzar. This story can change your life. Here's the setup. Let me give you some context because we're not gonna read uh, the entire story out of scripture, but I want you to understand what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar was a great and mighty king. In fact, he was the most powerful man in the world by far, and he had become quite proud of it. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that scared him he couldn't figure it out, so he called all his advisors around him to try to figure out the dream. They couldn't figure it out either, so eventually they called for Daniel, who was one of Nebuchadnezzar's prisoners who was known for being able to interpret dreams, and Daniel came and gave this interpretation starting in Daniel four twenty-four. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. Now, this guy has got some courage. He, as a prisoner, is standing before the most powerful man in the world, interpreting a dream that is against him. He goes on to say, "'You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven.'" Seven times, and that's talking about years, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots, which was part of the metaphor of the dream, means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules, particularly instead of you. Now, here's a paraphrase about what this courageous Daniel said to the king. King, you are prideful and have decided that you are God. You have decided that everything good you have and everything good in your kingdom is because you are great. You turned your back on God and made yourself God. God is not happy with you. If you don't repent of your pride and change, you are going to spend seven years living like a cow. We'll see how proud you are then. You will will stay that way until you acknowledge that God is God and you are not. I would have loved to have been there in the courts of the king when that happened. We actually have no record of Nebuchadnezzar's response. And in fact, Daniel now goes on to say even more. He says, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. So not only has he now interpreted the dream, which is a smack in the face to the king, but now he's adding his own advice to it. If you want my two cents, king, here you go. So here's what he says. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it may be then your prosperity will continue. And that's the whole word from God. And that's the advice from Daniel. That's all we read. We don't know what happened next. The Bible does not tell us at all about Nebuchadnezzar's reaction except for the fact that life just goes on. Apparently, King Nebuchadnezzar forgot this warning and just kept on living the way that he did. An entire year goes by. And a little side note, what's the time limit on a word from God? How do you forget a word from God? The Lord said to Nebuchadnezzar, don't do it. But then with time, sometimes Nebuchadnezzar and we decide we can just move on from it. So what's the statute of limitations on a word from God? If you ignore it today, will it eventually go away? Well, we find out in this case, no. You see, everything was going great for Nebuchadnezzar. He had become a prideful king. He was above the law. And here's what he wrongly assumed. There were no consequences to his own sin. He allowed his pride to take over and he made the same mistakes that we struggle with. I don't know if you know this, but pride is a very dangerous sin. It's the underlying sin that causes many Christians and leaders to fail. And here's the thing. It's very easy to spot in others. You might be thinking about your neighbor right now, that prideful son of a gun. I hope they listen to this sermon. You might be thinking about your spouse or your boss at work or just that that neighbor. Man, that person is so full of pride. I'm going to send them the link to this once it's posted. It's so easy to spot in others, but it's hard to admit it to ourselves. We say things like, I'm not proud. I'm just self-assured. I'm not proud. They're just jealous because I'm successful and secure. Pride puts self on the pedestal. Self can do anything. Self deserves things. Self has power. Self makes things happen. Self is never at fault. Pride always has someone else to blame and pride always has someone else to elevate itself above. It's a detrimental preoccupation with self. Let's read on in the story, verse 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? Nebuchadnezzar is literally walking around a year after this warning from God saying, Look at this great kingdom I have built. I did it. I made it. I made this place wonderful. Pride says, Look what I have done. And you might say it a little different. You might say, I built this business by myself. I did build this family. I made this happen. I solved the problem. I can handle it. I figured it out by myself. I just quit my addiction for a month on my own. See, I don't need any help. Then Nebuchadnezzar continued, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power? The second thing pride says is, I am great. I am powerful. I'm wonderful. Look at me. When I think about it, I really am pretty awesome. I have a lot of power. You know what? The world is lucky to have me. Boy, this church sure is blessed to have me. In fact, God is lucky to have me. Look how much I do. Look how much money I give. What would they and he do without me? I really am great. Nebuchadnezzar continued, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? <laughs> it's a little easy to start to dislike Nebuchadnezzar at this point because we're, 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 we're hearing his thoughts said out loud. We might not think or say it the same way he does, but the most dangerous thought of all, at the core of all this is I deserve this. In fact, I deserve more. I deserve it. And why aren't they giving it to me? I might not think I'm the best, but I know I'm better than those over there. And I deserve something more than them. I deserve something better than them. In fact, when you're living like this, if you see something really good happen to someone else, not only will you say they don't deserve that, you're really saying, I deserve it. I deserve more than them. One of my pastors and mentors shares this grid called blessing, expectation, entitlement. His name is Rod Lloyd. I quote him a lot. The first time we receive something, maybe even the first couple times we see it as a blessing from God. We're so thankful. Wow,
1: what a blessing.
0: I can't believe God just did this for me. Eventually we begin to expect it. It may still be a blessing, but once we come to expect it will happen, if it doesn't, something is wrong. We're not quite as grateful. Then it's easy to move from expectation to entitlement. It's no longer a blessing. Instead, it's what I'm entitled to. It's what I deserve. It's what pride tries to tell you. The prideful person feels entitled to what they used to consider a blessing. And Nebuchadnezzar decided, I deserve all this. I'm entitled to it. Now, don't forget, God warned him a year ago about his pride. And Daniel gave him advice to top it off. I think that if God warned me that clearly in a dream, that if I didn't humble myself, I was gonna live like a cow for seven years, I would remember it. But we have a remarkable ability to just justify our lives and keep moving on. Anybody with me? So, so words from God, sobering warnings from God don't expire. Let's read on what happens. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips, when a voice came from heaven. In the Bible, when a voice comes from heaven, that's God. There's no sound system. It's just God himself saying this, this is what I decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I imagine at this moment, Nebuchadnezzar's knees start to shake and suddenly he might remember something about a word from God from a year ago. And what comes next is not only what happens to Nebuchadnezzar, but what happens to all of us when we allow pride to take over and decide we don't need God. It's the price of pride. God said, your royal authority has been taken from you. In other words, you aren't king anymore. It's over. It happened to Nebuchadnezzar. The same thing happens to you and me. The price of pride is this. You lose the thing that made you proud. Pride will cause you to lose the source of your pride whatever that source of pride is, whatever you've put before God, position, power, possessions, maybe you're proud of your stuff. And think of it. It's the height of ingratitude. The very thing God gave you to begin with now makes you proud. (laughs) That money, God gave it to you. That position from God. That talent, it's not because of you. It's because God gave it to you. You thought it was because of you. You were so proud. Now it's gone. Pride will cause you to lose the source of your pride. And then God reminds Nebuchadnezzar of the word. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, a pitiful sight now alone. When pride takes over, we get isolated. Look at what it says. His body, I'm sorry, he was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. So the once great Nebuchadnezzar eating grass in a field, looking like a cross between a man and an animal, totally and completely humiliated. Everyone mocking him, laughing, he lost it all. There's a high price for a pride-filled life. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, who is just thrilled they came to church today? (laughs) Who's feeling just so uplifted and like you can do anything? So here's the thing. That's a sobering warning and a real story, a real example of something that happened. But here's the really good news. It doesn't just end there. And let's say you have gotten rather allowed pride to get the worst of you. You've done it. It's taken over. You decided you could get away, from, get away with sin and it wouldn't cost you. You decided wrong and you've paid a high price. Perhaps uh, in some way you relate to Nebuchadnezzar in this story And when you read about his consequences, you really know that's you. You might not have lived in a field and grown claws and feathers, but maybe you lost family or friends. Maybe you have severed relationship with kids because of the hurt you put them through in your pride. Maybe you shattered the trust you had with parents or a loved one. Maybe you're no longer employable. Maybe no one wants to hire someone like you. Maybe the road back from the debt that you've built in pride looks impossible. Well, the reason we have this story about Nebuchadnezzar is because there is a way back from the consequences and sin of pride. Look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Now just think of this mental picture Nebuchadnezzar, half man, half animal. It talks about it's like feathers, it's like claws the ultimate moment of shame and isolation in a field reduced to nothing at that state finally decided to lift his eyes and look to heaven. That's what it took. And so before we look at these principles of what to do after the consequences of pride, let me just ask you, what's it gonna take for you to humble yourself and call on the name of the Lord? What will it take for your life to get to before you humble yourself and find the help that you need. The first step back is demonstrated by the very first thing Nebuchadnezzar does. Look to Jesus. He raised his eyes to heaven. That alone is an act of humbling yourself. I'm no longer looking to me. It no longer can be about me. I don't care what anyone thinks, I'm looking to Jesus. I don't care what anyone else is doing. I don't care what anyone else's opinions are. I don't care what's up, what's down. I know the mess that my life has become because of pride. I need Jesus. And here's the thing, no matter how far pride has taken you away, no matter how deep the consequences you are in, the gift of the gospel of Jesus is you can always look to him. You can always turn back and chase after the Lord. It's, it's beautifully seen in the life of the thief on the cross. This guy presumably lived a life of crime and is now being humiliated in his pride and sin, crucified, ends up next to Jesus. And in that final moment, when surely all hope is lost, he says, Jesus, please remember me. That's all he does. It's a cry of his heart. And Jesus says, you're gonna be with me in paradise today. You can always look to Jesus. Take heart, no matter how great the consequences you're in. It's always better to begin the process of humbling yourself and living a life of wisdom. Then I praised the Most High. It says this is this is the same guy talking. Let me grab a tissue real quick. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. What a different story. He's not saying, look at the kingdom I have built, but his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I have figured it out. My kingdom, my ability, my stuff is nothing. His kingdom is forever. And that's the second principle. Give God the glory and be specific. God, everything I had was because of you. Everything I have and everything I am is still because of you. It all belongs to you. I give you all the glory. My dad told me when I was a little kid, Nathan, whatever God allows you to accomplish in your life, if there's newspaper articles written, if there, and it's, of course, that's not even a thing anymore. If there's, if there's things in the internet, if whatever it is, it's all gonna end up on the bottom of the birdcage collecting the bird poop. It doesn't matter. And when you die, he's such an encouraging dad. When you die, no one's gonna really care that much. Life is just gonna go on. And, and the world is just gonna keep moving forward. And, and he, says, he says, you have to put these things, according to the apostle Paul, any accomplishment, anything wonderful, in the dung file is what my dad taught me growing up. Put it in the dung file. It means nothing. It, wonderful gifts, it's great, but it's all from the Lord. All glory is God's. The only thing that lasts is his kingdom and his word is forever. And he invites us into it. Your accomplishments mean bubkis. Let it go everything you have is from the Lord. Everything I have is from the Lord. We can't accomplish our way into or out of anything. And it's so freeing, isn't it? Because we live in a rat race. We live in just comparison and envy and and this or that, so much so that we destroy ourselves financially just trying to keep up with it sometimes. We destroy ourselves mentally and emotionally because we let ourselves be, be determined. We let our identity be determined by what people are trying to sell us that we don't have or aren't good enough. It's the entire commercialization of a culture that if you're not careful to, if it's what you listen to all the time, you end up in the rat race and you end up in the sin of pride and you lose the joy the absolute sweet freedom and surrender of giving God all the glory. And you are created to give God glory. You are created to worship him and him alone. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be better to return to a life of worship than be a creature in a field being stripped of everything because of pride? My goodness. And we might have never actually been creatures in a field stripped of everything physically, but we've lived that way internally. Anybody? That's actually a good description of where that leads you. Some of you might be there right now. You can humble yourself, look to Jesus, and begin to give God the glory. And then he goes on in verse 35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So Nebuchadnezzar says, I am nothing. It's all God. Look at him. I am actually powerless to affect anything that God will or will not do, is what he's saying. And it's number three, admit your weakness. It's saying, God, I need you. I can't live without you. You alone are powerful. It's not about me. It's not about what I know. It's not about what I have. It's not about what I can do. I am nothing and powerless without you. I confess my need for you. It's the opposite of pride. Verse 36. At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. So he was restored, but notice something a little different this time. He said, for the glory of my kingdom, it's not for me, it's for them. So another way that you defeat pride is number four, you live for others. Pride says, I deserve to be served. Everyone should serve me. But those who depend on God say, I am here to serve. Everything God has given me isn't just for me, it's for his kingdom. How can I take what I have and what he has given me and use it to serve? It's why it's a great idea to make it a discipline to serve in obscurity in some way in your life. It can be in your fa- Of course, in family, we, we have to do this all the time. But I mean, like, even if you're married, don't just uh, serve your spouse so that you can gain points and make sure they notice. Like, like, If you clean one part of your house, you don't have to leave the light on in just that room so that they're sure to notice or put the spotlight where the dust used to be. You can serve in obscurity apart from the idea of having to gain points from yourself, and you learn that the hardiness, the reward of humility, living our lives as under the Lord. If you battle with pride, don't, don't sign up to come like stand here and do something in a spotlight. Sign up to like clean up the baby throw up, you know what I mean, when, when babies throw up. Anybody want that job? I'm looking right now. Raise your hand. Oh, okay, nice. Okay, I'm going to take you to the bank on that. And I'm actually just kidding. Um, We very rarely have any kids throw up actually on on Sunday mornings, but there is something really beautiful, if you're willing to discover it, about intentionally serving in obscurity. It's like the difference between an unhealthy meal and a healthy meal. When you're serving and you're somewhat in the spotlight and you're dealing with like all the mixed motives of something like that. It might be fine, maybe your heart's good, but it's kind of a meal filled with carbs and it doesn't do that much for you and blah, 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 everyone can see. But when you serve in total obscurity, just as unto the Lord, and no one's ever gonna know about it, it's like a good hearty steak, right? And I'm sorry, vegetarians, and I'm not a nutritionist, don't listen to what I'm saying, but it's, it's like a meal that, that really feeds you. And guess what? You start to learn to separate your life from living for the applause of man. You start to learn a life of joy and peace and delight apart from what anybody else thinks, imagine. Apart from what anybody else says, what anybody else validates or doesn't validate in and about your life no longer matters at all when you learn the life of humility and living as unto the Lord and therefore living for others. "'My advisors and nobles sought me out,' he said, "'and I was restored to my throne,' And became even greater than before. Now that makes me a little nervous when I read it, if I'm all honest. If I'm I'm like, all right, dude, you're greater than before. Like it said, don't don't get prideful, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what happened. And but then he goes on to say, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is right and all His ways are just so i think it's a really cool example of using the good things that god gives you in your humility to do this number five talk about god tell the story of god let your boast be in the lord if you're gonna boast at all boast in the lord and not just like the the humble brag like oh it's not my fault god made me this awesome (laughs) (laughs) i don't mean that I mean, actually acknowledging that everything is from him. And look how Nebuchadnezzar uh, closes out this story. And it took him a lot to earn the right to make this statement. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Man, what a lesson. And we get to learn from this lesson. If you want to walk in the way of wisdom, which is what this This year is about we want to lean into a life of wisdom and the blessing of God that comes from that. And and it's not just tangible blessings like what we would imagine. It's blessing like peace. It's blessing like purpose and health. It's blessing like meaning in life and beauty in life. If you want that, the only way is the path of humility. And and just guaranteed, I'm not even saying this at you. I'll speak it to me. All of us have pride to repent of. Always I was chatting with someone in our first service Between services and and he's been walking with the Lord for decades mature man after the heart of God and And I won't share his name, but he told me God he said God's really been dealing with me about pride And I said really he said yeah, God's been dealing with me about pride and he's been telling me this uh, Son, I will use you to the degree that you humble yourself He's just wanting to be used by God. He's wanting to know God more. And here at this stage of his life, he's still having to wrestle down his own pride in order to receive everything God has from him. Because by the way, you don't graduate from the school of humbling yourself. You know, think of the apostle Paul. And we're gonna close here in a couple minutes. But the apostle Paul wrote more books of the New Testament than anyone else. God used him profoundly to plant churches all over the place um his footprints and impact of his life have been felt uh, throughout every generation and we're still studying and learning from his life today <coughs> and when he was first following jesus he referred to himself this way he said i am the least of the apostles and even then it's like no you're not you're one of the best apostles but he said no i'm one of the least of the apostles fast forward a few years he gets to the middle of his journey in Christ. So he's grown in the Lord. God has used him more. His life has been more fruitful. And he says, I'm actually not just the least of the apostles. I'm the least of all the believers. So not just the leaders. I, I, I am at the very bottom of the pool in the body of Christ. He grew in humility. There's something about growing closer to the Lord Therefore you get more truth, you get more light and you see yourself more for what you really are and you need God that much more. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Then the apostle Paul towards the very end of his journey, you know how he referred to himself? The worst of all sinners. Not just the worst leader, not just the worst of the Christians. He said, I am the worst of all sinners. I'm telling you, my friends, If you are really growing closer to the Lord, it is what frees you from a life of judgment towards anyone else, because you realize all of it is in you, and you are capable of every bit of it. And though you might not have killed someone, you've had hatred in your heart. And though you might not have committed adultery, you've had adultery and lust in your heart. And though you might not have actively, willingly swindled people out of money, you've had dishonesty in your heart. And while you might not have lived your whole life striving just to be wealthy out of selfish personal gain, you've had a mixed bag when it comes to motivation. This is true for all of us. And so may we be like the apostle Paul and, uh, and grow in our understanding of what's really in us. Now, don't don't hear me wrong. That's not the Apostle Paul berating himself and being down on himself. You know what it causes him to do? Love Jesus even more. You know why? Who loves Jesus the most? The one who's been forgiven the most. If you think you've only been forgiven a little, you don't love that much. When you realize you've been forgiven everything, when you realize the depths of your own sin and your own heart, and God forgives you. He gives you new mercy again. You love much. And may we be a church and a people that love much. And if you're being disciplined by the Lord right now, look at what Proverbs 3 says. Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. I know this message can be, or it is a rebuke. It's from the, it's not me. Take it up with him. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son, he delights in. You have to let go of everything in your own kingdom. Everything that you want, everything you'd love to try to build, everything you're clinging to, let go. Acknowledge the Lord. Live your life unto him. And here's the, here's the worst punishment of pride is that you actually can't receive anything from God. You can't receive any of it. When you go down the path of pride, you can't even receive salvation from him. So humble yourself today. Believe the good news of Jesus and receive new life from the one who gave you life. Lord, that's our prayer. We make an altar right where we are at our seats. And church, I just invite you as the worship team comes up to humble yourself before him. If there's pride in your heart, repent of it. Ask him to search you. Let's bring our lives before him. You know, I was with our youth at Opryland uh, Youth Convention last fall. And thousands of kids just worshiping and worshiping singing and you know kids sitting all over the place i was exhausted because you know, you're know you trying to like rally the cats you know herd the cats or whatever And I, you know and keep everyone alive and, and i'm like man i didn't know i was going to be a youth pastor again and, and it was wild i was just i was just kind of surviving and all of a sudden i felt the lord just remind me of something so profound and i want to share it with you he reminded me of this that when i came to know him when he when he literally like grabbed my heart i gained a vision of jesus that was beyond compare i just i just saw the lord and and you don't have to compare your story to that but if you don't feel like you have a, a vision of the beauty of god that is beyond compare ask him for that it's called being a seeker of god seek him and I gained. I, I i just saw him i was a kid i was a teenager and I was just became desperate for the Lord. I didn't know my wife yet, didn't have kids, had no idea I would live out here and, and be living life with you guys. And I was just desperate for the Lord. And, and here I was at this youth convention with all these kids and and God just reminded me of this beautiful thing. Hey, Nathan, you started with just me and this whole arc of your life is gonna happen. And you'll you'll have your own version of this, your family, your, your ministry, everything God is blessing with the ups and downs, the challenges, the pain. At the end of it, you know what it's gonna be? you and me, it's going to be us. And we don't like to think of this, but, but my intimacy with the Lord is even greater than my intimacy with my wife. Our marriage is only as healthy as we are first completely with the Lord. And our eternity is, is not just with that spouse or with that friend or with those kids or that family. No, no. It's the realization of perfect love in the Lord. And we start with him and we end with him. Therefore, there's nothing else to strive for. Get to know him, the inheritance, the one thing. It's such a gift. And I pray that God will teach you, will teach you about that so you can be free of everything else. Take a seat for one more minute. I'm gonna have our ushers come forward. I wanna point out a few things coming up. If you're new here with us, we have Newcomers Connect coming up on March 3rd, just a few weeks from now. It's about 30 minutes right after this second service. We have childcare and refreshments. Kids are also welcome to come with you, but we need you to pre-register. Use that QR code. (coughs) It's also on the screen. It'll just ask for your name and if you're bringing some kids. I hope you'll come. It's the best way to get to know who we are at Graceland Church. We have a number of you guys already signed up uh, and coming to that. Uh, It's going to be great refreshments, ways to get connected to the church. It's going to be awesome. Tonight, youth comes back to its regular schedule, Sundays, 5 to 7 p.m. Bible studies are in full swing. Summer camps, we have lots of youth and and kids already signed up. Deposits are due, so I want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet, uh, you can still. My wife, Jessica, can point you in the right direction for any of that information. Some of you have asked if you can help sponsor kids because it's a few hundred bucks for the kids to go to these camps. Um, You can. All you got to do is give via any of our giving channels and put the memo uh, kids camp or youth camp, and it'll 100% go to sponsorships. So thank you guys for that. And then our Mexico Missions trip is uh, having an interest meeting next Sunday right after this second service as well, February 25th. That's next Sunday, right? Yep, February 25th. And Sherry can answer any questions if you could wave real quick. We have a bunch of people already signed up for that trip. Going to be amazing. Um, going to that interest meeting is not committing to it. It's just finding out more about it. And you can see all the weekly things going on in the life of the church uh, right here as well. So Lord, we give you thanks. We pray for the tithe and the offering today. And uh, it's really such a gift to serve you uh, as we steward our resources, God. So bless every penny that comes in in this offering and throughout the week online and in the mail. May it go towards uh, building your kingdom and helping uh, many people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, Once the basket passes you, uh, let's stand for one more moment and we're just gonna sing. Jess, you're not off the clock yet. Wow. We're still paying you, I think. Okay. She said I don't pay her for the sister. (laughs) Just, Just sing that simple chorus again. Just sing doxology in that key. Go out into the world and labor to bring forth new lives of humility, of peace, and of grace. Dream dreams, pursue visions, and speak of God's goodness and generosity in the words of those who would hear. And may our God, who breathed life into creation, be your delight. May Christ Jesus give hope to your dreaming, and may the Holy Spirit, your advocate and guide, set your hearts ablaze with a passion for walking humbly with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen.